You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. How many of you were alive in 72? Oh, we got a few older people here. I should probably, in 1972, I didn't need to probably tell you much about myself, but now it's obviously there's a lot of water under the bridge. I played hockey professionally for 18 years. I turned pro with the Detroit Red Wings in 1963. Actually, won the Memorial Cup. In 1962, I was playing for Detroit uh, for the Hamilton Red Wings. Back then, there was only six teams in the NHL. And I did make the NHL my first year, played for Detroit and the great Gordie Howe. I was traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs in uh, spring of 68 and uh, played there till I jumped to the World Hockey Association. Uh, we ended up with an owner in uh, uh, Toronto by the name of Harold Ballard. Anybody remember that name? Man, I hated that sucker. I got... <laughs> I jumped to the World Association and played there for five years. And then when the two leagues merged together, I ended up playing my last year with the Atlanta Flames. And uh, Cliff Fletcher was the general manager. And the next year, the Flames were moving to Calgary. And he actually, uh, he offered me a two-year contract to come up and play for two more years. And then he wanted me to be, to be a part of their organization. But uh, I was 38 at the time, and I knew I didn't want to stay in hockey, and so we decided to uh, retire at uh, that point. Uh, I ended up going to seminary in the States, come back to Canada in 84, and for two years worked with Athletes in Action, and then I started a men's ministry called the, uh, now it's called Leader Impact Group. I started with three men in 85, and today I've got over 800 men that meet in small groups. Uh, We're evangelistic, and uh, we're disciple makers. And so that's what we've been doing, and for the last uh, probably uh, 12 years, Eleanor and I speak at marriage conferences. In fact, uh, we're going to be speaking in one over in Victoria. Uh, I just thought of this now. We're going to be speaking the afternoon of the game. (laughs) This is the first time that you might be speaking on your own, sweetheart. (laughs) No, I wouldn't do that. Well, maybe I would. (laughs) So Ellen and I have been doing that, and obviously have had the opportunity to uh, go across this country and, and uh, just merely tell uh, people that, you know what, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. In fact, God loves every one of us. You know, that, that's the message that basically that I've been doing for the last 26 years. And what a great journey it is. But you know something? I didn't start off well. I, I, I've got a, when I started my ministry... I, I decided there was a, I wanted to start small, much like you here, three families, I guess, go deep, think big, and then finish well. I only started with the first three. It was start small, go deep, really get to know the Lord, and then think big. What can you do? And when I started my ministry, I looked around, and I, I wanted to find a model of evangelism and discipleship, and I couldn't find one in Canada or the United States. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to see if I can lead some men to the Lord and get them in a group and mentor them and develop leadership. And my thinking big was if I could get 25 groups together, I would be really doing it. And now we've got 90 some. So I'm just not a very good dreamer, I guess. But along the way, I, I decided about 15 years ago, finish well is so important. 
And so Stephen Covey wrote a book a few years ago called The Seven Habits of Highly uh, uh, Effective People. And one of his points was start with the end in mind. And so I went to my funeral and uh, looked back. What do I want my wife to say about me? What do I want my kids to say about me? What do I want my friends to say about me? What do I want my coworkers to get, uh, to say about me? And when you live with that perspective, it really helps. And so you're coming into the game, and so you can start the fasting now, but I would encourage you, how are we going to finish this well? And be a part of that. Look down there and make it happen. And I'm so excited for you. There's so many good things that are going on. Uh, I, am, uh, I should tell you that I've been uh, married to a, a great gal for the last uh, 47 years. And I would say to you, this woman has taught me more by accident than any other person has on purpose. We are totally different. Uh, our gifts and, uh, are, are such a... Uh, we're, we're totally different. And boy, but together we've made a great team. Uh, we had uh, three daughters of our own. We've now picked up three sons-in-laws. We have uh, seven grandchildren. I have seven uh, grandsons and uh, two granddaughters, and they've closed up shop. So that's all there's going to be. And uh, I stand here today, and I tell you, I, I can't think of anybody that's been more blessed uh, than myself. Uh, because in uh, 72, I got to represent this country. I'm such a proud Canadian. Boy, uh, one of the greatest things as an athlete, you want to represent your country, and we did that in 72. I got to play for Team Canada. We played against the Russians, and that's probably where I got most of my notoriety form. It was an eight-game series, uh, first time we'd played them, and as I told the first group, we knew we were going to win, so we were only going to have eight games, four games here in Canada and four games back in Moscow. And the reason we knew we were going to win, we'd sent our crack Toronto Maple Leaf scouts over to scout the Russians, and they come back and they told us the Russians weren't that big, they weren't that strong, they didn't shoot the puck that well, and they had a goaltender by the name of Trechiak that couldn't stop a football. <laughs> Does that give you an indication why the Toronto Maple Leafs have not won the Stanley Cup since night? 19- <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, we found out in that first game that the Russians were an incredibly gifted, talented hockey team. I mean, their physical conditioning, we'd never played against guys that were that in, in shape. And I'll tell you what, they gave us a battle. In fact, we had to win the last three games to win that series, and I happened to score uh, the winning goal in the last three games. And I'm here to tell you what, luck has a lot to do with scoring goals. <laughs> You know, I scored seven goals on that series. Six were really nice goals. The only garbage goal I scored was that last one with 34 seconds, and we've been watching that garbage goal for 34... I mean, it drives me crazy. The one I scored in the seventh game with about two and a half minutes left went through the whole team, put it in the top corner. But you know what? The Lord says, you know, Henderson, you're too arrogant. I couldn't let you do that. I've got to give you something. I can tell you I grew up uh, in southwestern Ontario, and uh, very early in life I decided that I was going to have the good life. I, uh, uh, in my teenage years, I decided that God was irrelevant. He had nothing to say to me, and I was going to live the good life. I, I was going to be an NHL hockey player, Uh, So much so that I started practicing my autograph in grade five. (laughs) That's why I have such a fluid autograph today. I sat there and I said, there's no chicken scratch in this thing. And my penmanship is excellent today because I decided when I was in grade five, I was going to be an NHL hockey player. I uh, met this uh, gal down here that I've been married to for the last uh, 
uh, 47 years when we were teenagers, and I told her, uh, you're going to marry an NHL hockey player, and we're going to have the good life. We're going to build a home together. And you know, when we were going together, we talked about it. I said, you know, we're only going to get married once. Like, we will never, ever, this is a lifelong project, we will never, divorce is never going to be an option. And you know something, folks, after 47 years, we can tell you we have never discussed a divorce once. Now, a couple of times she's mentioned murder, but... Man, I, I tell you what, I've, uh, a lot of great things have happened to me, but marrying this gal was one of the best. And, but anyway, we get married. We went together for four years, got married, started our family, and obviously uh, scored that goal. I came back to Canada, and I was the toast of this country. Uh, they gave me a new car. They gave me golf clubs. Uh, uh, they wanted me in every program you can imagine. <laughs> Politicians even wanted me to run for parliament. It was a joke. Anyway, uh, that's what I worried about, our politicians. Anyway, but the fact of the matter is, uh, that, uh, that spring, uh, after the series, a guy docked, uh, knocked on my door one day and introduced himself, and he said, I, I uh, run a, 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 a camp north of Toronto, and uh, we run a hockey school, and Paul, I would really like you to come and work in my hockey school this summer. And I said, well, that would be okay. What do you pay? And he says, we don't pay anything. The, the people that come donate their time. Like, do you not know who you are talking to? (laughs) I scored the goal. (laughs) And maybe you don't know this or not, but you know what? That goal that I scored, that garbage goal, was recently voted the sports uh, uh, moment of this last century. Can you believe that? The sports moment of this last century. But stop to think about this for a second. See... That's the only thing that Wayne Gretzky didn't do this past century. <laughs> now, now I, 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 played, I, I played 18 years of pro hockey, okay? I had six concussions in that time, and I didn't play without a helmet for the first 20, well, I was 26 when I put a helmet on. And so sometimes I lose my train of thought, you know, and I have an excuse for that. So... Just now, I forgot where I was in my talk, sweetheart. Where, where, where am I? Mellon Camp. I was talking about Mel. So he comes down and he asks me, this is why I always take my wife with me, you see. <laughs> see, I, wasn't, I was going to ask one of you people, but I knew you weren't paying attention to me, so I didn't want to embarrass you either, because half of you were saying, where was he? Where was he? But see, my wife loves me, and she takes care of me. So anyway, he said, so I said, well, they don't, like, you don't pay people. Why not? And he said, it's a Christian camp. A Christian camp. And I really, I thought, well, we all live in Canada. We must be Christians, aren't we? And, but he said to me, we started a conversation. And he says, you know, Paul, I see you interviewed on television. And you don't look to be a very happy camper to me. You seem, you seem to be a person with an edge to you all the time. And he says, if I was to guess, I would say that you're probably a very frustrated young man right now. And no one had ever said that before. I'm like, am I wearing a sign or something? <laughs> and as we got into a conversation, it intrigued me a little bit. And he says, Paul, he said, you need to learn to live lightly and freely. And I admitted to him, like we had an owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Harold Ballard. I hated that guy. And as I talked to him, there was a lot of anger and bitterness. My dad had died a few years earlier, but I had still some unresolved things with him. 
And I was really a frustrated guy because, you know, see, I grew up and I figured, man, if you've got a great wife and family, if you're financially independent, and if you're doing something and you're able to join the country club and travel and do all those things, what more is there to life? That's what I really believed. But you see, no one had ever challenged me to think about the spiritual dimension of life. You know, your pastor here talked about uh, intellectually uh, going that way, taking care of yourself uh, physically, which I'd always done. But you see, I forgot about the soul. And Mel Stevens says, Paul, he says, I would encourage you to look into the person of Jesus Christ. Examine what Christianity is about. But when he said you can learn lightly and freely, he caught my attention. And you know what, folks? For the next two years, I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours trying to find out who this person Jesus was. I read my Bible uh, from cover to cover. I became very familiar with the New Testament. I was still playing hockey at that time professionally, and there was no high-profile Christians back then, and I would take my Bible and I would put it inside a magazine, and I would sit against the window so the guys couldn't see I was reading a Bible. Like, I was very, very uh, cautious about this. But you know something? After two years... Actually, it was March 12th, 1975. I was in my library all by myself, and I had a conversation with God. And it basically was, I said, Lord, I really believe you are who you say you are. There's much I don't understand about you. There's a lot of things that I'm still confused about, but I really believe you're real. I believe you came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe you lived the perfect life, and I believe you died for me, and I believe you were raised from the dead, and you defeated sin and death. And I told him, I've done so many things wrong, so many things that I'm ashamed of. But Mel told me that God would wipe the slate clean and he, could, he would come into my life and I could become his child. And so I said, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. You make me the person you want me to be. And in the same breath, I said, don't you ever expect me to tell anybody about this. I'm going to be one of those secret service Christians, you know. Because you see, I used to make fun of those born-againers, you know, those born-againers, those, you know, those religious people, you know. I didn't know what born-again meant, but they were those crazy people. And I thought, boy, if I, you know, if I become a Christian, everybody is going to look at me that way, and I'm going to, you know, lose my friends. Well, anyway, I finally made that. And I really believe that the Lord took the Toronto Toros to Birmingham, Alabama, because they did that the next year. We went down to Birmingham, Alabama, and I got into a good church. We're new Christians. And I got into a men's group. Uh, very successful businessmen. They, small groups, just like you have these life groups in your church. Only this one, they were doing it for men. Uh, and women, they, they did it. We'd, we, Ellen and I went to a couple study, but she was in a women's group. And I was in this men's group. And I'm a, a new Christian. And this man got eight of us together in the mornings, and we would spend an hour and a half together, and we would memorize scripture, and we would go through books of the Bible, and we would come back and discuss it, and then we started journaling, and we started keeping a prayer journal, and we started, uh, you know, we talked a lot about becoming the husband and father that uh, God wants us to be, and it was incredible how much I learned in that group. We obviously went to church on Sunday, and always made notes, and and, uh, and it, was just a, it was just a wonderful time, and, and we were growing uh, uh, like crazy. And then after three years, the pastor and John Bradford came to me and says, Paul, we think you're at the stage that you need to start leading a group. Uh, you, need to start, you need to become a mentor, a disciple maker. Oh, I can't do that. You know, I've only been a Christian for three years, and I don't know enough about that. And I really didn't want to do it. 
But you know, sometimes in life, you need somebody that has more confidence in you than you have in yourself. And they said to me, Paul, we really believe you could do it. And John Bradford, our personalities are so different than John. And John would say to me, Paul, you were really, you were the hammer in the group. <laughs> uh, like, you know, like I couldn't stand mediocrity. And was one football player that came, he used to come late all the time. And he came in one morning and I said, you know, you're like, I'm getting sick and tired of you coming late. You know, John was just a laid-back, loving guy. And I said, you know, you don't, you know, the rest of us get here in time. Get up in the morning and get here. Man, do you think that doesn't sit? I mean, the guy could have taken me and put me right through the wall, but I just couldn't stand it, you know? I mean, that's my personality. Like, I'm sort of aggressive. <laughs> you get in one of my groups and you come and you don't have your, memori- your work uh, memorized, I'll break both of your wrists. And <laughs> That's a little bit of exaggeration. The only reason I say that is that we're all different. You see, I tried to emulate what John Bradford taught us, and I tried to pour into the strokes of these other guys' lives. And you know what? We bonded together. We bonded together. And these guys started to grow. And boy, was it ever terrific. Then the pastor came along, and he asked Eleanor and I to lead the young couples club. There was, uh, there was about 26 uh, couples. They asked me to teach the, the Sunday school class. And as a part of that, you shepherd them also. And I would teach it. I'd, so I, I, the first one we did was Hosea. I spent hours and hours preparing to teach a 45-minute class. I had outlines, and I mean, it was incredible. But, you know, my wife is the most gracious, gentle, kindest person I've ever met. And she can, I mean, in the kitchen, I would put her against, what's a Ray girl? Martha Ray or, it doesn't matter who, uh, <laughs> Martha Stewart, and you know what? When we had something at our house and they knew my wife was cooking, everybody came. We, had, we put on a, cover, uh, a thing one time and there was, every one of them showed up. And, uh, you know, we could see that we were impacting their life. Eleanor using her gifts as hospitality and, and preparing food and made them, and our home was an oasis. Well, when I uh, retired, I... The, and it's a long story, but uh, the, I really felt that God had called me, and we did not want to answer the call whatsoever. Fought him for a long time, but sought some counsel, and so I went to seminary and came back to Canada. And I think God said to me, Paul, I want you to go and reach out to guys like yourself, guys that were successful, but guys that think that I'm irrelevant, and they won't go to church. Uh, and you know what I did is I was a member of a I joined a good golf course in Toronto many years ago, and I would take guys golfing, and I'd sit down with them after, I'd say, you know, where are you in your spiritual journey? And they, well, what do you mean by that? And, you know, I started with three guys and uh, started building a ministry, and that's what we did, get guys into a group and just simply tried to teach them what John Bradford had taught me, developing the disciplines in them, and then teaching them how to share your faith and and, uh, and I didn't know how to uh, share my faith, but Eleanor and I went and we got some uh, training when we first went to Birmingham, and it was so funny. Remember that day, sweetheart? We went, and they do this training, and, and it's all good. And then the guy says, okay, some people had left some uh, names at the church, and uh, we're gonna, you're going to go out, and uh, we'll give you these names, and we want you to go and knock on the door, and we want you to share your faith. And I looked at Eleanor, and I says... There's no chance of us doing this, sweetheart. We are out of here. I'm not knocking on any door. The guy probably read my mind. He says, this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to put the women together and the guys together. 
And he looked at me, and I was sitting in the front row. He said, okay, you, what's your name? Uh, Paul, uh, uh, who's that, Don? Don, you and Paul, you're going to go together. And I'm going, oh, man, I hope this guy says he wants to go home. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, I'm a hockey player. I can't look that I've got any fear, right? I'd never met the guy before, and so they gave us this thing. And it's funny, afterwards, he's hoping like crazy that I say, let's not do it. But anyway... They give, us a, they give us an address, and we go to this apartment building, and, and we're walking up there, and, and he says to me, well, you go ahead, you share your faith. And, and I said, no, it's okay. I, you know, you can do that. <laughs> you know, interestingly, that guy became one of my best friends in the world. Uh, we started a, a Bible study together shortly that. He was a brand-new Christian also. And, you know, we went up there, and sometimes you need to step out of the boat, don't you? Come out of your comfort zone. And this uh, person answered the door, and we went in, and we shared our faith. And we had a little booklet that we asked to go through the four spiritual laws. The person uh, didn't respond, but, you know, it was sort of exciting because we prayed, God, please, please, please help us. You know how weak we are. And God wants to do that. You know, I, I really believe that, uh, well, First Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see, every one of you in this building has a special gift. Every one of you have something you're good at and you love to do. Now, we know you've got a lot. Is this music team we have, is it, they're gone probably now because they played. Is that music team any good? Man, because they're using their gifts, aren't they? Now, I'll tell you what. If you'd have brought me in to lead the music, we would have cleaned this place out in a hurry, you know? Like, I'm not gifted in. You put me in the kitchen, and I would be so bored, and you would just go crazy if you tried to eat it. But you see, you put this woman in the kitchen, and I'll tell you what, it's incredible what comes out of there. And so I would suggest to you, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Are you using them in this church? And sometimes you need to try things that you're a little fearful of. I looked for years. I wanted something that Eleanor and I could do together in ministry. And I would pray to God, please give us something we would do together. Because I was speaking and traveling and, and running my men's group. And, and it just never seemed to happen. And I'm, quite frankly, I was getting upset at God. Like, I, you know, I wanted to kick him on the shin. You ever want to kick God in the shins and say, I want to do this, you know? Well... We had one of our friends, and there, there were a couple, and they were really struggling in their marriage. So we went to a, we, we were going to decide, going to take them to a marriage conference. We just couldn't seem to help them. So we took them to this marriage conference for their benefit, because we had a great memory. And you know, I went there, and I'll tell you what, if you've never been to a marriage conference, expect to get beat up. Man, I didn't know I was such a terrible listener. I didn't know that you had, you, you know, you could... Uh, uh, I didn't have a clue how to resolve conflict peaceably. You know, to me, it was win the argument. And <laughs> like I would argue even things I didn't believe in, just to pray, you know. This woman is going to be in the Hall of Fame when she gets to heaven. But anyway, I learned so much, and I said to Eleanor, we're going to go back next year, because we'll have forgotten a lot of things. We went back the next year, and we're sitting there, and back then, there was just used to be men that do the speaking. And I looked at her, and I said, you know what's wrong with this? They need couples up there speaking. And we should be, you know, we could, we could share a lot of things. We should do this. She looked at me, and she said, are you out of your mind? 
She had never done any public speaking at this point. And I'll tell you, for the next year and a half, I was encouraging her. I read a book, Building Your Mate's Self-Esteem, and she had a terrible fear of, uh, of speaking. And I kept enforcing her, Nora, I know you can do it. You, I mean, people will love you. You were so warm. They, you know, I drive people crazy, but they'll love you. And, you know, and she started just slowly to start with, okay, I'll try it. And we first started speaking. She would maybe speak for maybe 15% of the time. This is 12 years later, and you know what really irks me, folks? She is now a better public speaker than I am. <laughs> but, you know, we're doing something together. And I tell you, we, and, and it's taken our marriage to a totally different level because we're always talking about it. In fact, we're doing one over in Victoria the last week of the, last week of the uh, conference here. Uh, it, it's a wonderful thing. And so I would say to you, you know, isn't it amazing when you become a Christian you, uh, the more you try to help other people, the better it seems to go for you. Have you ever found that out? It's amazing. And it's just, a, I, I love when you learn. And, uh, you know, you're always learning, aren't you? And, uh, and the pastor did not put me up to this, but I tell the story all the time. When I was in my first group, uh, this is about the second year we're in the group, and we were there one morning, and you know how a guy asks a dumb question? You know when you're in a group of people, you just say, what an idiot you are. You know <laughs> Like John, well, we had this guy's name was Boo Mason at the time, and we were there this morning, and he said to John Bradford, he says, John, should you tithe on your gross or your net income? And I thought, you idiot. (laughs) Who would ever tithe on their gross income? Of course it's net, you idiot. (laughs) And so John Bradford looked at him, and he said, well, Boo, it all depends, buddy. You can do whatever you want. Do you want God to bless your gross or your net? Math was always one of my better subjects. I went home to Eleanor, and I told Eleanor what happened. I said, Eleanor, I really think that God spoke to me this morning, and we should start tithing on our gross income. And, and she is such a gracious giving. She's Paul, if you think that's what we should do, that's fine with me. I had an account. I still have the same accountant now. It's uh, uh, since 1968. His name is Marvin Goldblatt. He's as Jewish as you can get. And boy, I'll tell you what, I would, Marvin and I, we'd, we wouldn't let her get at the money. You know, we had a budget, and she would try to get money, and I'd say, Marvin, don't give it to her. <laughs> it was awful. I'm a lot better today, aren't I? But anyway, I phoned Marvin and say, Marvin, we've got to make some changes. And you know what? He says, Paul, we've got a game plan here. You're going to retire. He says, this is, this is a savings plan we want. It's going to screw everything up. He talked me out of it. I get up the next morning, and I'm having my quiet time. Have you ever had a quiet time when the Holy Spirit is just... I phoned Marvin back, and I said, Marvin, we've got to make some changes here. This is what we're going to do. And he knew. And he said, Paul, if that's what you want to do, we'll do it. You know, the interesting thing is I had a fair bit of money to give away, and we prayed about it, and we sent some money to, I think it was five different organizations, and, and we got nice thank you letters, but one in particular, I've got to tell you this. We got this letter. Uh, we sent this uh, money. It was several thousand dollars to a, a couple, and they had four kids. And uh, unbeknown to me, two weeks before, they'd got their kids together, and they said, okay, Lord, uh, we got a desperate need here for money, and we're just going to pray. We're not going to tell anybody. We're just going to ask God if he would send this money to it. And he said, we wanted our kids to know that they could trust God. And he said, after about two weeks after they'd started praying, they went to the, into the mailbox and got this letter from us, and there was the exact amount that they were praying for. 
You think that we don't have a God that can take care of everything? But he doesn't always do it the way you want it to. Do you know that? You know, in November of this year, I went in for a regular checkup, feeling great. Man, I work out all the time, do an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, about six days a week. I'm as good a shape now as when I played, uh, feeling fabulous. And you know what I found out? I had cancer. I've got cancer. Uh, they did a battery test. They did a little surgery, took out, sent the biopsies away. I have lymphocytic lymphoma, chronic leukemia. And man, it just, you know, I mean, this is just, this happens, you know. And I'm not the first person to ever get cancer. But is it ever funny? And, and, and this is, a, at the start of the year, you've got to be careful what you pray. <laughs> I prayed at the start of this year. I said to God, God, I don't want to be the same place at the end of this year as the start. I want to know you much more intimately, much more deeply at the end of this year than I do now. And I tell you what, I've written several times in my journal, God, thank you for giving me cancer. Because I'll tell you what, this is the place that I always wanted to get to in my intimacy with God. I stand here today and tell you, I have no angst in my body, no fear, no worry whatsoever. Because you see, I've learned that I put my faith and trust in Christ back in 1975 and he has been there time after time. And I shared a couple other things in the other service. God is reliable and his promises are sure. I don't know where my future is going to end up. I'm, uh, right now, I'm, the type of cancer, they're not going to treat it. I have to go and see the oncologist again in March. Uh, since the leukemia, there's no cure, but they, there's some uh, things they can do. And so I don't know what it, it, uh, I don't know what exactly the future holds. But you know what? I know who holds the future. I know where I'm going. Uh, You know, uh, what's his name? Rick Warren said, this life is merely preparation for spending eternity with God. And so get to know him now. And I am so thankful for the pastors that I've had uh, that have encouraged me, come to church and uh, get to know God. I'm so thankful for the music teams that have allowed us to work with, uh, uh, to get in tune with God. And so I would say to you today, I, I really give you credit for getting up and uh, coming here today. Do you know the future? Like, we, we don't have a clue who's going to win the gold medal, do we? Like, I really thought our juniors were going to win. <laughs> but you know something? We're on the winning team. We can't lose. And so God says, get up today. Live the best way you can. Give me a little thanks when you can, because I'll tell you what. I lived first 32 years of my life doing it my way. And I had access to a lot of things. I've, ex- I've been able to, uh, you know, I've experienced what this world has got to offer. Since 1975, I've decided to let God be my guide. Uh, his game plan is the best game plan you would ever have. So if you're here today and you're thinking about it, this is a great place. Come to some of these classes. Uh, make a pastor, make an appointment with a pastor, one of your friends. Maybe you're like me. Maybe it's going to take you some time to get to know God, but it's worthwhile pursuing it. And then when you get there, get to know him intimately. You will never regret it. Because when the tough times come, you've got a rock on which to stand. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.